Hi everyone, my name is Saya and this is the Hearsay podcast number 36. Uh, it's been a little while between drinks, things have been super busy, uh, but there are loads of great guests coming up soon, so keep your eye on the podcast app. Uh, my guest today is Laura Jean. I caught up with Laura while she was in Brisbane a little while ago. She's been touring her incredible electronic synth album after being predominantly folk guitar-y uh, for a long time, and I'm a big fan, and I welcome her to the synth world with open arms. Uh, Laura's strange show story was illustrated by my good mate George Browning. George plays drums in loads of Brisbane bands, including Velociraptor, Baba Ganoush, and Jeremy Neal's band. He's an incredible drummer and a greyhound owner so what more could you ask for in a friend really uh you can find george on instagram at timeout for fun and you can see all the hearsay illustrations on instagram too at hearsay podcast or on the hearsay facebook page rate and review the podcast on itunes if you have time um, it helps people find it and it's a nice thing to do for a podcast unless of course your review isn't very nice in which case uh, maybe don't listen to the podcast. Why are you listening to this intro? Go listen to something else. <laughs> um, for all of you that do like the podcast, here we go. Hearsay number 36, Laura Jean. Hi, Saya. I'm so excited that we're talking face to face. Me too. Could have been a disaster and, you know, with microphone difficulties and stuff. <laughs> I know. We talked about doing it remotely, but I have no technology in my life, so I, I cannot actually do anything like that. I, <laughs> I love how some musicians can get away with not having any of that stuff in their lives. Yeah, it's a... It is a choice. Yeah. It's a conscious choice that it could be a flaw as well. <laughs> I feel like it's possibly a fear-based decision, but it's also a purposeful thing that I do in regards to being creative and songwriting, the way that I like to write songs. Mm -hmm. Everyone writes songs differently, but the way I like to write songs requires me to be kind of a little bit bored, a little bit isolated, a little bit lacking in choice. Right. Because it it forces me to make the story or the words um, central. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's how I like it. I mean, one day I might change, but that's how I like to do things at the moment. Do you have a telly? Um, not right now. I usually do, though. I love telly. I love writing in front of the telly. Really? Oh, my God, because <laughs> it is one of the best songwriting tips ever. Just, But make sure you put the telly onto a show that you find a little bit boring <laughs> because there's nothing like... I feel like when you you're making stuff up, what's required is a certain focus that isn't laser focus. It's more of a half focus, and it it means that you, especially if you're writing on an instrument mm -hmm. uh, that you can hold, it just means that you every now and again you'll be playing or moving your fingers around, and you'll make a mistake, or you'll or you can sit there and repeat something again and again until it develops. Yeah, because I I really feel like writing um, hooks riffs chord progressions requires a lot of repetition and um, 
playing something over and over until it finds its form. And sometimes it helps to have something that's half interesting in front of you. And the white noisy kind of sound, it just helps me to um, just progress with an idea. So interesting. What about lyrics? Do you write lyrics in front of the telly? Can you do that when there's other sounds? Yeah, like lyrics tend to be when I'm on the move. So I'll have an idea which I'll write down and develop on paper on a computer I'll brainstorm so I'll have something I want to write about that's bugging me like I want oh this is bugging me like it I need to try and it's almost like I've got to capture it and then so what I do is the first thing I want to do is write about it directly which is obvious so I'll be like oh okay so okay I'll share an example of something I'm writing at the moment it's a little bit sensitive but I feel like it'd be a good place to talk about it Mm. so it's a song about a child that I might or might not have because I'm 36, 37 soon. And uh, as someone with a womb uh, that, you know, that I can may or may not use, mm. this imaginary child that I might have is really in my face at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I've got a partner, so I, I can imagine what they might look like. I've got yeah. a male partner that, you know, so... And this name keeps coming to me. I won't say the name yeah, because it's like a magical thing, but the name's got something to do with a bird. So the first thing I wanted to do is, is go, right, well, I want to write about this imaginary child. So the first things that come to mind are, what will you look like? You know, I don't know if you're going to be around or not. <laughs> I, I'd like to meet you, but I also don't want to be a mother yeah. right now. <laughs> and it's like boring, obvious. Okay, so yeah. what I do is I just start writing like I'll – I'll put, I'll just, with that, with the thought in mind of what I want to capture, I'll just start writing. And my, my brainstorm the other day started with apples are really hydrating. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah. it, does, it doesn't matter where it starts. Sure. <laughs> Whatever comes into my head. And then after a while, I just start talking about something. And what I started talking about was this moment that me and my partner, um, I, I wasn't there actually, but I'll pretend I am in the song. Yeah. My partner found a tame bird in a park. A little um, rainbow lorikeet. And this bird uh, sang like a a mobile ringtone. And I realised that that's that's an interesting image. And then I realised I could tell the story of this child by telling the story of random birds that have come into my family and friend's life. Amazing. Yeah. So that's how I, I don't, I try not to write about things directly. It's show, not tell. Yes. Um. And that's how I do it. I just brainstorm until, and I, I'll just start writing about something. I'm like, why am I writing about this? Oh, and then it's my subconscious saying, this is how you approach this subject. It's like a side door and you can get in to the emotion of it through this kind of side door. So do you ever then just think of a cool rhyme and put that in a song as well? Oh, yeah. Like <laughs> when I'm... It's not always that deep? No, it's not. It's not deep at all. It's like when I'm brainstorming lyrics... Once I've figured out how I'm going to approach the idea, so, okay, I figured out that I'm going to tell the story of three birds. So then I immediately start rhyming because I, you know, Mm. and I immediately start trying out words in my mind's voice. So hearing things in my head, the rhythm of them, saying them out loud. Um, And that's where it starts with rhymes, with um, trying to make things sound musical. But then what happens is I'll be on the train and there'll be, I'll adjust it because once I start a song, it goes round and round and round in my head. So yeah. what happens is I'll, I, I start to solve the problem of the song in my head. So 
right now I'm walking around with this phrase, the, the, the little um, child's name in the song. It's just looping in this kind of stacked vocal. And I'm like, okay, I've got to put that in. And I'm starting to figure out how to phrase it. But this particular song I think is going to be really complex musically. So I'm a bit scared of it and I'm overwhelmed by it. Yeah. Because once you start it, you start to see what it has to be for it to be exceptional. And often that means you have to put a lot of work in. Of and course. It's like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, here we go. Have you, have you written any, like, chords or riffs or anything for it? Yeah, so On I guitar just, or keyboard? Once I figured out what I wanted to write about the other day, I literally sat down and I heard the chord in my head what I needed to write. So it doesn't happen all the time, but sometimes I'll just be like, this is it. And yeah. I sat down and I went, nah, 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 and like, on the guitar. It. Yeah. Yeah. I just knew that that's what it was. And that's what I heard it. So often I have to learn what I'm hearing in my head. That's how yeah. I've gotten better at guitar because I often hear ideas that I can't actually play yet. So I have to like learn how to, I listen to it up here and I learn how to play it. Yeah. I do a little bit of that too. Yeah. It's, when you're lucky enough to be able to hear music mm. in your mind, then it's a very handy tool. Yeah. yeah. So is your go-to instrument still guitar, even though you've just made a very keyboardy <laughs> album? Well, yeah, like I did make this keyboard album. Um, it was a fortunate thing where my friend just gave me this keyboard they found on the street and he he just said, oh, maybe you can work out piano bits on this for your, your folk records. And I'm like, yeah, um, I need a keyboard around. <laughs> but then... Yeah, but that's how I write it. all my albums. It's usually, but often it's a guitar. And that particular guitar has, it inspires because of the frequencies of that instrument. Mm. It inspires a whole new story or yeah. a new energy to the songwriting. I definitely agree. I think there's definitely at least one song in every instrument you pick up. Oh. At least. A hundred percent. They have... They have their own things they want to say and it's like, for me, it's like a collaboration between what the instrument wants to say and what mm. you want to say. Yeah, for sure. And this record was from that keyboard. That It's it's the keyboard's record. <laughs> I love that it was just found on the street. Oh, yeah. That's so yeah. great. Such a good story. Yeah, well, that's how everything, I, I just think that that's generally how I, my life happens. It just, it doesn't, I don't push it. I don't plan it. It just kind of. It just months along and goes, oh, whoops, I found this keyboard. Oh, whoops, I'm playing a Pet Shop Boys song. Oh, this is cool. <laughs> I don't think I want to do more of this kind of stuff. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Hey, so I got you a present that oh I'm going to give God. you. So this is, this is for you. Oh, my God. Hey. <laughs> so what I've given her is... um. Is I've a seen tiny, these. A tiny nano Lego um, keyboard and I thought it would be like oh. a lovely welcome to the keyboard. Because um, I am going to continue in world. my keyboard life. Don't <laughs> worry. Like this is not going to go to waste. Plus I love jigsaws. <laughs> oh my Well, someone who's been God. in keyboard land for their whole life, I, I welcome you wholeheartedly and we're happy to have you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> this, with this... Bestow, bestowal comes great responsibility and I've pledged to continue my keyboard um, journey. And it might be fun to do when you're waiting around at Soundcheck or, you know, I on already the plane know where I'm going to put this on my, my desk in my new house. Pride of place. Um, so beautiful. So I've been loving your new record. I've been listening to it a lot. Mm -hmm. I sent you a little text yesterday saying it's on my most played 
um, you know, on Spotify. Heavy rotation. Heavy rotation. I was very honoured. Thank right you. Right next to Blade Runner soundtrack. Yeah. <laughs> who did that? Uh, well, it's it was Hans Zimmer um, okay. who did that one. And the reason I've been listening to that is because I just did a talk about it. But um, oh, but wow. I've been listening to your album not for work but for pleasure. Yay. Um, <laughs> That's good. <laughs> and I really love it. And I even, you know, I was listening to it yesterday again and I was thinking – even from the very first moment that you start singing on that record in the first song, Press Play, I personally just started having feelings. Like mm-hmm. it's such a beautiful – because it's where the, the chord change happens. I love, I love, love, love songs that start in a certain way and then as soon as the vocals start, they completely change. Oh, and cool, that has yeah. a bit of a, that vibe. Oh, that's good. Um, yeah. Did you choose that song to be the first song on the record for a reason? Oh, I wrote it as sometimes I write songs to be the often I'll write the first song and the last song specifically for that purpose. So the last song on the album, You Make Me Feel, was written as a last song and the first song was written as a first song. Really? Yeah, because I feel like first and last songs have to have a particular energy for me. So the first song has to be kind of um, introducing the, th- the energy and the last song has to be like a denouement, like in film, how, mm. you know, all the action happens. Like, um, you know, they they save someone and everyone's happy. But then there's always that like five minutes at the end of the movie where they're just back at school and they're like, well, that was cool. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and there's this cute little scene where like, you know, they might see something that reminds them of just what happened and go, oh, what a crazy ride. Yeah. And then the credits come up. <laughs> so that's for me like... You make me feel as the denouement of, of that album where it's like it's not it's not a full action song, not a lot happens in it, but and it's not really like a, a well written pop song and I I purposefully underwrote it because it, I wanted it to be really free and easy and yeah. just like a kind of lazy conclusion. That's you know? awesome. Yeah. Did you ever dissect records as a kid? Yeah. I was obsessed <laughs> with certain <laughs> records where I was like, Okay, track three is always a banger. Oh yeah. Track seven also oh. very good. Seven. seven. Always seven. Yeah. I noticed that too. Did so one was like really striking but not always not the always biggest the single. Hit. Yeah. Two was like the classic single, mm-hmm. uh, often the leading single. Yeah. Three was the pinnacle. Mm-hmm. Four was like mm, bit okay, of a like a experimentation maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally. Like there was such a – and I've definitely done that on, on this album. I've really gone to that um, that format. Yeah. Yeah, seven was I always, always think good. of that. I always think that when yep. I when I'm trying to like order songs or when I listen to a new record, I'm like, okay. I mean, number one is pretty like standardly like a single or first single. Yeah. Also this album was influenced by um kind of hip hop records in in mm. as much as I wanted. So a few songs on the album are meant to be interludes. So press okay. plays an interlude. Yeah. Um, you know how on hip hop records they have the intro and they kind of say this is what this is about. Yeah, yeah. So press plays is supposed to be that. That's cool. Um, you should your have heart. done like little um, skits. I know. <laughs> like on the Miseducation yeah. of Lauren Hill, they're like, yeah. "Okay, who's here in class? Lauren, <laughs> Lauren," and she's not there. It's like genius. <laughs> you should do that. I'll oh. do it with you. <laughs> well, one day, like, do a hip hop interlude. Oh God. I, I don't love know if I stuff. could. I think that'd be a little bit sacrilege, but I they're they're supposed to be like my version of interludes, like lick your hearts an interlude and telecommunications one and a half minutes. That's an interlude. Yeah, I like I like that about hip hop records where there's not this kind of pompousness of 
here are the songs laid out and it's like there's a little bit of playfulness where where they kind of just sometimes they talk about what they're trying to say like this is what this song's about sometimes they just set the scene they give context to the rest of the album i just love it like yeah i, I love, love that, that stuff technique too. yeah um something i noticed about your new record and i suppose some of your other records too but particularly this one is um you don't really overdo the backing vocals no you don't do that no. When I record a song, I feel like I put at least 20 of myself in because oh. it helps me feel better about my own voice. It's great. But you don't do that. You're like and it made the message and the and the performance so much more powerful. I do that on purpose. It's a conscious yeah. decision because I love harmonies and I love Me too. I love trying what I do. How do you stop yourself? I force myself not to because I can tell in my body when it's right and when it's wrong. So when I try and put a harmony in, sometimes because I, I think a song's like a movie and if if it's a very personal, like if the song's really in the first person, um, you you have to be careful of bringing other characters in because every voice on a song to me is a character yeah, right. or like a, a splinter of the main character. So on this album, I actually whisper under a lot to give the the main vocal texture but the whispers quite mix quite low yeah. i was trying to figure out how to give the vocals more presence without it so we we instead of doubling them and doing harmonies we just whispered under them that's cool which ended up being the key to the vocal sound we were really relieved when we found that me and john lee the guy yeah. that um, produced it um we were really relieved when we figured that out but I've really, I think backing vocals are something you've got to be, for me, for my music, really careful with because you, um, you, as you say, you, it does tend to splinter the feeling of direct communication to, from you to the listener. So I only do it really sparingly when it really needs it. And yeah. otherwise, I, if I sing it and it's not working, I just go, nah, it's not feeling right in my body. Just, And I have to recognise when it is me trying to hide my voice or trying to... And I've I've learnt to recognise, okay, that's I really need to just let it be. Yeah. <laughs> but it is hard. I find to it resist. so hard. Mm. I just sing twenty tracks. Of but me. it's fun to sing anyway. <laughs> Who cares? It is fun. <laughs> but then yeah. you really I mean, I do that with keyboards too. I feel like one keyboard is never enough for me. I've got to do at least ten. Oh, well that's it. Like but you know, I'm not a producer, like I'm not a production heavy artist. I think I'm a real, like, I'm a folky. Uh, even yeah. when I record a pop album, the way that I record is very folk music. So, you know, I only put things when they absolutely have to be in there and that's a folk thing. So, you know, it all goes back to not 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 being able to get it, you know, not being able to pay enough people to be in the band. So you yeah. have to keep it really. So I just still stick with that and that's become part of my, as you say, the way I do things, yeah. which is an identifiable thing. Yeah, yeah. it's so cool. Mm. Well, when it does happen, I feel like it's got a lot of impact. Yeah. 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 Um, what were you listening to when you first started playing your instrument? Well, I started playing the saxophone when I was 10. The school band organisation came to my school at East Gosford Primary and um, I demanded to play the tenor saxophone, not the alto, really? but the tenor. <laughs> I was obsessed with the tenor saxophone. I don't know. I think it was because of Dave Stewart's um, and um, Candy Dolfer's duet um, oh. in the 80s. Um, oh, yeah. That one. So I loved that. 
and I think I must have seen the video of this woman playing the sax. So I thought I could do that. It's a great um, song. Yeah. So I just – and actually, you know, it was a miracle that I got to do it. Like I think Dad had to borrow money to, from his brother or something. Oh. So I was really, really lucky. I feel very grateful that my parents were that caring. Um, well, my mum and dad were divorced by then, but they both, you know – joined forces and got me that saxophone and it would change my life. Like That's I just, amazing. I just actually said to mum, I don't know what I did before this. I just don't know what my life was like. So you practice your sax all the time? Yeah, yeah. I played a lot like I, yeah, I played in the school band and I used to get in trouble because I immediately wanted to improvise and <laughs> Mr Hibbard was like, you've got to learn to read music before you can improvise and I'm like, okay. <laughs> but then when Bob Swadling took over the band, this, um, young guy he encouraged my improvisation and I won us the bloody central coast band comp fuck yeah and one of the judges apparently was calling his wife going there's a little girl here improvising on the sax (laughs) and I was like the star and stuff and that gave me the showbiz bug as well you know I love it so it was really handy so I have been in band since I was 10 wow and I was listening to like whatever my mum and dad were listening to which is whatever two time poor single parents that nurses that did shift work could do so it's like dumb stuff like you know kind of cute 80s pop like some of it was really good like Jenny Morris and, yeah and uh, and other of it was a bit lame like a lot of daggy stuff simply red my mum was into simply red <laughs> dad well dad was this classic single dad weird uh, like Aaron, from Aaron Neville to Peggy Lee to Deep Forest to like wow oh Deep Forest my parents love that it's too. the first CD I ever heard <laughs> <laughs> yeah so do you know how to – did you continue reading music? Can you sight read? Yeah, I can. I can sight – oh, yeah, like I can – I could sight read a piano. Um, I could sight read a sax. I couldn't do it on guitar. But yeah. learning to read music and understand music was hugely um, helpful for me when I started collaborating with other people because on my first album I had like a chamber orchestra. Wow. And – um. Basically, this guy called Wally Gunn, who's a composer, lives in the States now, who um, he just said, I'll help you arrange this album. And, you know, I was able to just to be able to say, can you do a minor there or can you? I can also hear when someone's like playing a song and half a step up or down. I'm like, oh, I just just so it, it helps me. What it helps is is in speed. So when I'm getting a band together. I can really my band will tell you I'm like quite prescriptive I'm like okay Okay. you know I can hear the problem straight away and we can take care of it yeah some people find that a bit intense but it just it's very efficient yeah for for me to be able to communicate musically yeah Yeah. I find that interesting because you I think you write music in a way that feels like it has innocence and it feels like Mm. it's not overly studied Mm. and I mean that as a huge compliment because I find people that um, that study music will write complicated stuff for complicated sake. Yeah. And you just write these like beautiful songs that are really relatable and have yeah. like a a beautiful like innocence and simplicity at times. That's right. Do you find that that's hard to do knowing many things about notes? What's interesting about that for me is that, you know, when I teach songwriting at TAFE, one of the things I really explored with my classes is character in songs and also the character that comes out as our songwriter. So our songwriting character in our life. And my, if you're looking at Jung, my songwriting character is very much the regular every person. Mm. And the aim of the regular person, the every man, every woman, every person, is I want to relate. I want to 
everyone's fine the way they are. That's their mission statement. But I'm not really like that in real life. So sometimes I get confused when people treat me like this kind of ingenue, innocent lady and they don't realise that I'm this eccentric, witchy person that's very <laughs> intellectual. Of course. And that yeah. all my songs come from a quite an intellectual place. Yeah. So I'm people think that it's an accident sometimes that I write the way I write, but I actually do it very it's a very purposeful thing that I, I, I design the songs to sound like that. Like, yeah, it's not just me. I going, can tell that. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I can tell that. It do, and they're not all like that. Definitely no, not. No, there's some that are a little bit more spiky and intellectual. Yeah. But yeah, like I guess what I want to do is to make people feel like I want to make them um, feel something. So to do that, you you do have to write in a way that is immediate and sometimes simple but to get to simple to do simple in a sophisticated way takes quite a long it a definitely long time. does yeah. yeah so you and I are the same age I was mm -hmm. just wondering if you feel differently about making music now than you did when you first started or when you were you know 18 19 20 yeah some some things have stayed the same and some things have changed so the excitement about having a vision for an album um is the same like the excitement I get when I think about what something could be and the energy that I could create um the feelings I could create that excites me the same as it did when I was starting to record when I was 16 or 17 um what has changed is my feeling to prove myself I don't feel that anymore I don't feel I don't, my ego and my identity isn't as tied up in music anymore. So now it's just something I, one of the things I do, it's not um, who I am. Yeah. Which makes it easier for me to be objective about my craft and, and what happens in my, in my kind of industry life. Yeah. Yeah. So even though things in a music industry sense are going as well for, you know, better for me than they ever have, it's not something that gives me a lot of pleasure or excitement really it, it's a little bit stressful for me yeah yeah I'm, I'm grateful on one level but on another level I'm like mm, it's it's pressure and yeah it's something I have to manage because and the way I manage it is by um I don't I isolate myself I don't really hang out with people a lot that know my music um I just hang out I just I prefer to stay ignorant of that stuff because it, it's not, it's stressful for me. Yeah, it really is. I feel like that too. I don't listen to the radio much and if I do, I listen to AM. Oh, huge, me too. So I've me got too. no idea what's going on in, you know, sometimes people ask me like, who should I get as a support in Brisbane? Like, I don't fucking know. <laughs> I don't know nobody. <laughs> I know. Like, isolate myself and I don't really know why I think I just got older and I like spending time at home with my husband and my dog totally. like I just want to hang out yeah just want to go for walks and be in nature and that's what I, I exactly the same I don't know me. when that happened for me it's a slow I think it happens I'm the same I think it, it happens over the process of about five like several years yeah where I think it started happening for me when I about turned about 30 yeah, and then maybe that's the same. I, yeah, over the next five or so years, it's just been like I, I never was very social, and I think you're the same. I think 
I've always been more relationship oriented. I've never, I've never really cared about my career in a way of like having to grab opportunities. I just don't. Mm. I'm more interested in the relationships I have with people. Um, Definitely. And the authenticity of those relationships and the joy that those relationships give me. It's not about um, the music is, I like to make good work, but I don't, the whole, you know, got to get on this line up doing all that. I don't give a shit about that stuff. And no. Networking no. is the grossest It is like, ever. I think I'm a natural networker in, in, in as much as I'm really interested in other people. Well, that's yeah. what I always say. I always say, but it's it's a genuine it is, interest. Yeah. It's not for it's a not, purpose. If if someone yeah. could literally give me this amazing gig, but they were boring, I literally would be like, whatever. <laughs> but if someone could get me on the open mic night at, you know, <laughs> I don't know, what, what's a pub around here in Brisbane? Um, yeah, if someone could get me on open mic night at the yeah. Netherworld, but <laughs> they were really funny and interesting, I'd spend the whole night with yeah. them. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. and every now and again, it, it works out that the person that's really funny and interesting and that you, you're you interested in is someone that might um, give you an opportunity, but it's an accident. It's not, it doesn't Absolutely, drive me. Yeah. And I, I don't understand yeah. people that that does drive them because I just don't think it leads to happiness at all. I just think it leads to no. frustration. Yeah. I think ego and music, I've talked to, to lots of people about this because I'm fascinated by people getting older and losing ego but then also becoming more confident in yourself as a person but then you're not sure what you're doing is as meaningful or as um, important anymore. That's right. I think I've had lots of questions over the last few years of why am I doing this? Like what am I doing this for? <laughs> and the only thing that I can answer that with is what else am I going to do? Yeah. And so it hasn't I think as you say, when you start... And not everyone loses ego as they get older. Some people get more ego. Yeah. That's the thing. Like, not everyone chills as they get older. Some people actually get more desperate and more angry. Yeah, <laughs> and that bizarre. that's when you start to go down separate roads to those people um, that you might have known. Um, but that's when your values start to become apparent when you're yeah. our age. And, um, yeah, I have questioned why I'm doing this, why I put so much energy into this, um, creating culture for a society that doesn't seem to give a shit about mm. it. But I'm I'm playing the long game. I, I'm creating culture for my nephew. You know, that's oh, what drives lovely. me is, is the thought that he will, his auntie will has told a story and he can get something out of that. And if he can, other other people can. And that's so lovely. It's like a little archive. It's like yeah. this is what it felt like to be... A, a woman, um, a creative, eccentric kind of woman, uh, working class woman, you know, yeah. like in 2010 or whatever. This is what it felt like. If one person listens to it in 50 years and gets something out of it, you have to tell yourself that that's worth it because what else were you going to do? Watch telly? Like... Mm. As long as you're playing the guitar while you're watching telly, I guess. But you know, you I may believe well, that I do. It's true, and even though it's a bit of a fanciful thing, it's like, well, what else are you going to do when you really think about it? Nothing means a lot. Like even doctors that save people's lives go home and go, "What the fuck am I doing?" It's not about what you do. It's not about the apparent importance of it. Once you get deep inside any craft, you start to see the abyss, whether you be saving lives or writing songs or um, 
writing mathematical equations that might help us go to populate another planet. Everything holds the abyss. The deeper you go, the the more you see the the lack of purpose mm-hmm. or the kind of um, lack of material purpose of it, and then you start to realise that it's just a nice way to pass the time. It and it's in front is. of you. Yeah, you have to do what's in front of you, even yeah. if it hurts, because everything hurts. <laughs> so you may as well do what's in front of you. That's just obvious to do. Oh well, I can play the freaking guitar, so I will might play as it. Well. And I can write songs, so I might as well write another one. <laughs> you I know? agree. I think um, I think I do it because I've always done it, and I do it because I enjoy it. And what other reason is there? I know. And even though the side stuff gets stressful, like, you know, talking to an interviewer that thinks, you know, that doesn't understand you or, you know, doing all the stressful things around playing music. But there's stressful things around everything. So That's true. you've got to choose your poison and, and the poison that poisons you the least, I guess. Yeah. And just run with it. Um, Are you self-managed? No, I I have I'm not. I I was most through most of my um music life, but in the last couple of years, Guy Blackman from Chapter Music, my label, has been managing me because once I wrote these demos, he kind of saw that if I produce them well, then they could be um like more popular than my other music <laughs> because they were more universal. Yeah. My my other music, my folk music I've written in the past is quite um arch kind of stuff yeah it's serious it's very serious and it's a bit niche um so but this album I've written is quite universal so he went okay I think you're gonna need some help so and I have needed help Mm. um so it's been real blessing for to have him the last couple of years it's it's because I've done it myself my whole life though I'm like post-trauma like Oh no, I've got to do this. And he's like, yeah. No, I can do this. Like, I can book that. And I'm like, What? Is you can book let, that? Yeah, it must be hard to let go. It is, because I'm a Virgo. Like, yeah. I have such high standards. Like, <laughs> I'm a perfectionist. Like, oh my God, I must be such hell to manage. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I, um, I read that you, your childhood of um, getting bullied in school and stuff, music was a great help to you. Yeah, like, I think. You know, the older I get, I realise that most people were bullied and yeah. it doesn't make me special or anything. No, it does. Oh, okay, it does. Um, <laughs> but, like, it just – I don't know if music helped me or if music was the best vehicle for my actual inherent confidence because the main problem I had when I was a child – I mean, I was chubby, I was really tall or whatever, but the main problem I had was I was super confident. Um, really? Yeah, I was. I've always been – kind of shy but I have this inner confidence that I can't contain it's an enthusiasm it makes me dorky it makes me excited and you know so when I was at school I just um you know I really was had this confidence and it used to I was also very bright so I had um you know the teachers I did skip a grade but my mum was worried about me being um younger than everyone else so I really wish she let me keep going because the year that I skipped was the best year of my schooling life because I actually felt normal and yeah. it's hard it was very hard for me to be bored in class and some of the teachers called me a know-it-all and um, used to bully me because I was so confident yeah right as well and 
Due to my precociousness, of course, I would bring my parents in to have meetings with them about the way they spoke to me. Because <laughs> I'm a bit of a, like I am, I'm confident, I'm That's a bit queenly. I just have to own that. I have a big ego. So I was able to um, hold myself in that time. Um, yeah, high school, I went to a selective high school with other smart kids. But then that's when I, my home life wasn't that stable. Um, my mum and dad were young when they had me, you know. They they were great in their own way, but I can say that my home life wasn't stable. Yeah. Um, so I didn't really have anywhere to study or to rest or focus because I was on high alert. So school went down the toilet a bit. Yeah. And I'm only just reconciling that now where I've done a year of uni and I'm going to try and get into law next year. Oh, wow. So I want to do like a arts law degree. Great. Because I need to, for my own reasons, heal that little girl that couldn't reach her academic potential. Wow. Because she had didn't have support. Yeah. And my parents are amazing. It's not about them. It's just the way it turned out yeah, for us. Yeah, it was situational. They, had, they were single parents. They were young. They had their own shit to deal with. Um, they did their best. They did an amazing job. But they couldn't support a little precocious, brainy girl. Sure. And that's cool. It's hard for everyone. It is. And now I'm just looking after that. Yeah. I um I remember when I was in high school and I was bullied, I took great comfort in music. Mm. And for the first time, I think I felt like I owned music mm. as my own thing. Well, it's probably I, survival instinct. Oh, totally. You had to own something for, yeah. for it to be your own space where they couldn't get in. Totally. And I also remember... Like my brother, um, I've got a brother two years older than me and mm-hmm. he played me Kiss Off by the Violent Femmes. Their lyrics are like, they hurt me bad, but I don't mind. They hurt me bad. They do it all the time. And I remember oh, going wow, like, I like that. yeah, Violent Femmes got bullied and I got bullied and we're just fine. Like that kind of thing. That's the best thing about music. That's why we do it. Because totally. we want that to give that. everything. It gives you that space separate from high school. I got that in different ways. I got that from mum. New age stuff because <laughs> yeah. my mum was deep forest. Deep forest. <laughs> Actually, my mum was into like um, my mum went through different religious phases, and one of the phases she went through was really deep new age nineties stuff, like channeled entities and stuff. Wow. So one of them was called Ramtha, and Ramtha talked about all this very kind of um, new age like law of attraction stuff. But I'd been into meditation since I was little, like, and I used to go and meditate. Um, up on this mountain <laughs> in Gosford, really? wow. Rumbleara Reserve. And that, that that was what gave me, apart from music, which I think also gave me confidence, what really gave me confidence was um, was meditation and looking above the mess. So meditation allowed me to look above the drama that was happening in front of me at school and realise that it was a small thing. And that there was a big sky out there that I, I didn't have to meddle with that all the time. And that, that was what it did it for me. That's what helped me survive bullying and yeah. stuff like that. Do you, what's your relationship like with meditation now? Um, yeah, I, it's always with me. Something that, I don't know, it's something that once you have a few experiences with, um, you, it stays with you and you do it. I do it naturally a lot, just little just catching myself, you know, yeah. that's all. And so I go in and out of doing it formally depending on what I need or what I feel like I need. Mm. Yeah. and But it's it, it's with me every day now. Yeah. That's lovely. Yeah. You, you just moved to Sydney. Yes. Recently-ish. 
after living for 17 years in Melbourne. Yeah. How, how are you finding the difference between music scenes? Well, in Melbourne's like a hot house, like a greenhouse. So all these exotic flowers grow and genius things happen and but it's self-contained, so it all stays in this little hot house. Sydney seems to be outside that hot house, but really great things happening there, but also Sydney acts tend to be a bit more like not as focused on playing for their friends, but more focused on playing for wider audiences, Yeah, right. which I find really interesting. Mm. I've met a couple of three people from bands and the three bands I've met are all really famous. <laughs> and I don't know if that's a coincidence, like... I met some people from the Jezebels, I met some people from the DMAs and I met uh, some people from DZ Death Rays. Yeah. That was just through, one was through just being in a cafe and the Jezebe- a couple of people from Jezebels liked my music. Yeah. I did a bit of co-writing with DZ Death Rays just for fun and there was some guy from the DMAs downstairs. So it's a <laughs> weird world where these people have huge like audiences and stuff and they're just <laughs> hanging around these horrible pokies pubs. But like... I don't know. It's like, it's just, it's, you can't compare the two. Um, Melbourne's one of those cities where it's like a cultural, um, a place where culture is, is about 10 years ahead of everywhere else. And it has its ups and downs. It's good things and bad things. It's not something I always, I I don't necessarily always want to be in that space. Uh, I wanted to be outside of that space for a while to see what that did to me. And me and my partner Warwick, who's an artist as well, we just thought let's let's just have a break from Melbourne. Like, let's see what happens to our work when we're not in that space. Yeah, well, so could be far, bad. It's been going great. <laughs> 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 Who knows what'll happen now? God. Um, oh. I always found Sydney was all about who you know like even friends wise it's yep. it didn't seem like a particularly friendly city unless you had people you knew there that you know that would protect you from it or something yeah well there's not like there's FBI and 2SCR but it seems like a real young person like FBI's got heaps of really young people whereas Triple R and PBS it's a real community a true access to community I yeah I don't know if it's the same I think it's a different energy yeah. um, so I don't I'm not inside it yet and I don't actually want to get inside it the reason I'm in Sydney is mainly to be there for my family yeah and to um to write and yeah. so if I don't access a scene in Sydney I'm fine with that um I'm fine with just being the weirdo that lives in <laughs> like near ride yeah, you right. know that just walks around in a pajamas and stuff with a dog like I'm okay I think I'm okay with that it's a bit intense after living in Melbourne where I know everyone yeah but I needed to do it just for isolate some reason. yourself forever yeah. yeah just a little bit further <laughs> can we talk about your dog yeah um I'm obsessed with my dog what's your dog called my dog is a great rescue greyhound called whiskey oh my god tell me about your dog Dusty is nine he just turned nine he was from when I lived in in the country in Victoria, me and my partner had a dog and we're thinking about maybe we should have another dog because two dogs are better than one, obviously. Yeah. And on the wall of the Hepburn Springs Palais, there was this little sign with black text that just said, free Kelpie cross blue healer. Oh. And I'm like, oh, I love blue healers. And yeah. I um, thought, oh, I'll just check it out. Can't hurt. <laughs> so the woman that ran the pub walked past and said, oh, can I have a look at this little dog? And she's like, yeah, no worries. So... I had a look at him and 
it was just, I mean, love at first sight. I mean, people say that it wasn't like fireworks, but I'll never, all I can say is the moment our eyes met, I'll never forget. Because I didn't know his name and I said, what's his name? And she said, it's Dusty. And I'm like, all right, Dusty, because he'd already run down the street as soon as she let him out. And he turned around and he looked in my eyes and I'm like, oh, okay. Immediately started writing all his to-do list, what to buy. Okay, he needs to be dissexed. He needs this, he needs that. But um, And my partner was like, can you just think about it for a few days? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And then I just started writing a list of things I needed to do. But so, you know, he was with me through the breakup of, the, of me and that person. He, he's been with, he, he's with me through meeting my current partner and through, through house moves. And mm. yeah, he's like, he's my... Everything really. Yeah, my dog is my everything too. <laughs> it's a bit scary, but you'll get to meet her tomorrow. Oh, great! She's so beautiful. Can't wait to see this <laughs> everything in yeah. in the real time. Oh man, do you worry about your dog dying? I worry every about day. my dog dying all the time. Oh yeah, like I have to every day go. Okay, he's going to be gone in my forties, mm. and it's like. I just have to deal with that. And sometimes I'm like, what can I mother next? Because yeah. I'm really maternal, but I don't know whether I want to have kids yet. So I'm like, well, what will I look after? <laughs> yeah. I have the same. Yeah. I have the same. Maybe we should just look after each other. Oh, yeah. Can we take turns like we're yeah. being babies and yeah, stuff? Yeah, all right. <laughs> I'd be into that, but I don't want pureed food. I just want no, normal either. food. Yeah, normal food. Um, you know, maybe some cuddles. A bit of snuggling would be fine. Yeah. <laughs> No breastfeeding. <laughs> no, I think I'll pass on that. But I'll if you give me a bottle, I won't say no. <laughs> um, so I was reading an interview with you the other day about yeah. when you were young, you used to like go to the roller skating rink as a rollerblader. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, and you used to like have these whole relationships with people in your head of people you never talked to. One person. Just one person. Yeah, because right. I'm one of those people that, Oh, I'm loyal. So my even to my crushes. Oh, okay. Yeah, gotcha. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had I a crush on that guy for maybe two years straight. Yeah. Do you think that stuff helps you as a songwriter? Do you think that um, being able to imagine a whole relationship when you were a kid helps you as an adult now? Yeah, because it's again about limitation and the way that limitation you know, it's like, it's the same in nature. Like if you limit the environment, what what happens is something magical. Like mm. the creature becomes strange and that's what happened to me. Like, because I didn't have the option to have real romances because of my uh, lack of fitting into that culture. I grew up in a surf culture where women had to be very quiet and submissive and and small, you know, and that's not what I was like at all. Um, so because I wasn't able to have a real time romance, as you say, I had to develop this really, um, yeah, I guess hormone driven, um, faculty, you know, visual, emotional, fanciful, verbal, you know, like it comes out in poetry, it comes out in, um, what you would say to them if you only could. And the fact that I didn't have the boring reality of a romance when you're teen, which is pretty much just holding hands on the bus and being yeah. awkward and then kind of some, your best friend, their best friend coming up to you and going, oh, they don't want to yeah. go see you anymore. <laughs> it's like, I'm so happy I didn't get the real <laughs> shit. 
the, the longer you can hold off reality, the better. Like it's the same with making an album. It's like the potentiality is the best bit. Rest in the potentiality as long as possible, I say, because that's the bit that needs the most energy. It's like what it could be, not mm. what it is. Yeah. Because what it could be is so much more than what it ever is. So if you extend the what it could be phase, if I extend that and rest in that and not feel like hurried to finish something, well, then what it could be extends and extends and all of a sudden I'm getting something, what it ends up being is maybe closer to something because I had all that time to develop the fantasy of it. Yeah. And the clarity of that fantasy guides the reality if the fantasy isn't strong and isn't realised, then your vision is not clear and all of a sudden you, you go down all these bloody pathways that you don't need to and you get confused and people influence you too much and go, why don't you do this? And you go, yeah, okay, I'll do that. And <laughs> it's like not right. But if you if the vision's really clear from the start, it's a way better way of doing it. Having this world inside your head already that you can just simply write in you know, instead of grasping at straws, like it's better to have the fantasy first. Yeah. Are you in the throes of fantasy for your next album? Yeah. Oh yeah. It's, it's coming. Like it came six months ago where, oh, like there's a part of me that wants to write this album that's really bitchy, like really <laughs> angry, like not angry, but like really like really ego like huge ego songs so I've got this song that I started writing six months ago that that I'm still thinking about and it's kind of going I know everything it's saying I can read your mind you know I can I know what's going to happen you just have to listen to me please listen to me because I know everything (laughs) (laughs) I love this yeah so and I felt I felt really satisfied writing that in that way like because I think we always as you know, modern people were like, oh, my ego's taking over again. I'm sorry, I'm being a control freak. <laughs> and it's like, no, fuck it, I'm going to be a control freak because I fucking know. <laughs> like, I'm smarter than you. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and like, it's so, to me, it's like that, sati- that kind of thing excites me because songwriting can be so fun that way where you can like, you can write in a character that you can't really be in in everyday Absolutely. life. So that kind of thing's coming to me. And also I really want to write about friendships, about adult friendships. And I want to write about being my age because I don't think there's a lot of music about that's around. or There is, but it's just not accessible. Um, About being 36 and being an artist, a Mm. 36-year-old female artist. Yeah. Because a lot of people give up and yeah, or they, they put it on hold at this age. And it's like, I'm not doing that. That's so great. how does that feel? Yeah. You know? And how it does feels it feel? fucking weird and hard. It <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh no, like everyone else is doing sensible things and I'm still writing songs. No, oh. but you are also doing sensible <laughs> things. Yeah, I'm doing what's sensible for me. And you're, it's easy you're to studying and you're you know I am, yeah. I've got a dog. Yeah, that's, that's sensible. All... <laughs> it's the most sensible thing anyone can ever do, have a dog. <laughs> Yeah, I think I am doing sensible things, but I'm doing it in a slow, not a hurried way. So it's yeah. going to be another six years before I can even get a proper job, you know. Yeah. But that's okay. Like I'm, I have lived under the poverty line my whole life and I feel like 
what's another six years? Sure. Um, I know I can do this. I live in a country where I have Medicare and I'm really lucky. So I'm lucky enough to have the luxury of being poor and not, you know, that not being a huge worry. Um, so I may as well just keep the thirties are a powerful time for art, I think. So I've got to keep going for a little bit longer, even though it does take up a lot of energy and a part of me wants to spend that energy, like buying nice stuff in my house and having money and, you know, getting a nice job and doing the nice things people do. (laughs) (laughs) But instead I'm like, you know, trying to find the nearest Audi and... (laughs) writing a song about an unborn child (laughs) i think the world needs more people like you okay i'll take your word for it Um, well i'm gonna ask you my last question okay which is the question i ask everyone Mm -hmm. um can you tell me your strangest show experience or just Mm -hmm. the strangest thing that's happened to you because you play music yeah, you, you you asked me to think about this and as you said it, I it flashed into my head what it was. So <laughs> when I released my first album, I had a song out called I'm a Rabbit, I'm a Fox, which went kind of well on Triple J and all that. And it came across the desk of one Gary from Snow Patrol, this Irish oh, yeah. band, and they became obsessed with it. And I toured with them twice in Australia, not as their support, but as a singer on one song because they have a duet with Martha Wainwright called Set the Fire to the Third Bar. So they just wanted me to sing that song with them on stage and that was it. Just the whole tour? The whole tour. Whoa. So I did that twice. And the second time I did it, we did it at Rod Laver Arena. And um, after the show, you know, Michael Gadinsky was hanging around. Yeah. For those people who don't know who Michael Gadinsky is... He's, he's a massive big wig in Australian music. <laughs> he like so he started Festival Records, now Mushroom Festival Mushroom Records, mm-hmm. and signed Kylie Minogue and all that. Yeah, Kylie's his like claim to f- it's his biggest kind of thing. Isn't and it? I mean, I mean, he's done props everything. for that. Yeah, like cred. Totally. Yeah. But Michael's just a really popular, like a really famous personality. Like I don't know, he's he's really um, flamboyant and really. Um, kind of outgoing and friendly and outrageous and in the backstage area of um snow patrol's dressing room there was a ping pong table and this person playing ping pong quite vigorously in there and i said what what's going on in there and the guys were all in snow patrol all having turns playing this guy and someone said well michael gudinski heard that snow patrol guys liked ping pong so he organized for the national ping pong champion of Australia to come backstage and play ping pong with them. So that's probably one of the weirdest things I've ever seen that's uh, weird. by being a musician. It didn't happen to me, but it happened you were in to. front of me. Yeah, <laughs> That is pretty weird. Yeah, that's probably, that's one of them, but there's so many. Oh my God. I know. I love, um, I just love he- hearing people's stories and especially I love the stories about when things have gone wrong because it shows... That everyone has those bizarre stories that, you know, and, and they you just brush it aside and keep going. But that's, that's a right. lovely one because that's a positive story. Just it a is. sweet it's, ping pong time. It's just like, <laughs> okay, the ping pong champion of Australia is back here <laughs> because Michael Gudinski wanted it that way. And I'm like, wow, this is how the... That's how the, the big wigs live. Yeah, that's like a prince move or something. <laughs> oh, totally. 
totally. I mean, he also offered me a publishing deal, um, you know, as soon as he met me and then forgot about it <laughs> five minutes later and then made me sign, like he wanted to sign an autograph of someone on my back and then I teased him about being shorter than me. But, you know, a lot of weird things happened that night. <laughs> I love it. Hey, thank you so much for talking to me. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Saya. Thank you, Saya.